Uh, we're going to continue in our study in the Word. Um, uh, we have reached Galatians chapter 5. I'll be reading uh, from verse 1 through verse 7. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves... If we live by the Spirit, excuse me, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are gathered here free, free from slavery, free in you. You call us to continue in a way that speaks to your grace, speaks to our freedom, no longer slaves of sin. So as we listen to your word be preached now, Lord, we worship you. We worship you in the hearing of your word, we worship you in the stillness as we hear your word. We worship you knowing that your word guides us, that your word is true. So be with us now, Lord, as your word is preached. We give you the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a great day to be in the Father's house, isn't it? So we're continuing in our series in Galatians. Uh, we are now up to Galatians 5. And I know I said this about Galatians 3 and then about Galatians 4, but I love Galatians 5. <laughs> we're now moving from the teaching part of the letter to the application part of the letter. Generally, Paul, when he writes his letters, the first half, the two-thirds, will be his theology. He'll talk about what Christ did. He'll talk about what it means for us. And then the last part of the letter, he'll tell us what it means we should do. So in many of his letters, the transition between the two is clear. Sometimes, in, like in Romans or Ephesians, he just drops a, therefore, brothers and sisters, telling you, okay, everything I just told you about Christ, everything I just told you about what it means for us, apply it in this way. In Galatians, it's not quite as clear, but I think it's actually a little more organic because Paul finishes, he, he culminates his argument for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by talking about the freedom that we have in Christ. He tells us what? That we are free in Christ. And now Paul's gonna tell us, so what? All right, we're free in Christ, so what? Why are we free? What is that freedom to be used for? And we see here in Galatians 5, we see that tension that is actually throughout the whole Bible, the tension between faith and works. Just like we've seen the example of Abraham, we can go back to the book of Genesis and read all that Abraham did but it was his faith that God counted as righteousness. 
In the same way for the Galatians and for us too, Paul's been crystal clear. God requires faith, not works. Works of the law cannot make you righteous. Only faith can. Yet Paul now is going to ask the Galatians and us to apply that truth by doing some things and by not doing some other things. So is this contrary to what he said throughout the letter, throughout the first four chapters about faith and works? No. Like I said, God does not require works. God wants faith. But faith, true faith, as you probably know, that requires work. See, the works follow from faith, not the other way around. You've probably heard it said, we are justified by faith alone, but never a faith that is alone. Bonus points, anybody knows who actually said that. Paul has thus far told the Galatians we are saved by faith alone. Now he's going to tell them, but not by faith that is alone. He's told them, listen, have faith, not works. But here he's starting to tell them, hey, you have faith, so work. And he begins with the so what of the freedom that we have in Christ. What do we do with that freedom? Remember where we left off, we saw that analogy between Hagar and Sarah, between Ishmael and Isaac, and we're told we are like Isaac. We are free and we are heirs of the promise. All right, Paul, so what? Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we have the what, and the what is that Christ has set us free. We are free from our slavery to sin. We are free from seeking righteousness through works of the law. We are free to, remember, not just free from, we are free to. We are free to love God. We are free to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are free to do works that show the love and light of God to the world. We are free from the power of sin. We are free to turn away from sin. In Jesus Christ, we are truly free. So what? Let's back up just a little bit first. Last week, we saw that Paul was really asking the Galatians a question, right? He explained how they're free, why they're free, and he told them they were choosing to use that freedom to return to slavery, slavery to law, slavery to sin. And that seeking righteousness through works, they were willingly submitting to a law that held them in captivity. So he was really asking them to consider how they were using the freedom that was won for them by Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. And I asked us, I asked us last week, how are we using that same freedom? Let me tell you a story. Very first sermon I ever preached, going back 17 years. All right, it was called The Earmark of a Christian. When I tell you I worked for like four months on this, I kid you not, you'll find it's hard to believe, I got through it in less than 12 minutes. I was so pumped when I got up there, you want to hear fast. <laughs> and I started out with an analogy. I talked about how shepherds in the ancient world, as sad as it is, they would actually take their sheep and they would cut a notch in the sheep's ear in a certain place. That, that was the earmark of the sheep. That way, when the sheep was out grazing with the other sheep, the shepherd could easily see, that one's mine, that one's not. That one's mine, that one's not. And I preached from Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 through 6. That was, it was ambitious, I know. Let's go there for a second. This is what we read. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and the children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God. He shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. He would literally be earmarked. And what I did was use this as an analogy for our faith, our walk. We are the slaves. Christ is the master. 
Through his work on the cross, he literally brought us to God. And as Christians, we love our master, right? We do not want to be free from our master. We don't want to go out from him. And so he marks us. But as I was reading this for our daily devotional this past week, it occurred to me, there's another way this analogy can go. And this is the way it was going for the Galatians. This, this is the way it goes for us sometimes, because sometimes that master is sin. And sometimes, even though we've been set free, we say of sin, I love my master, and I will not go out free. And what we do then is we take the earmark of sin. Like the Galatians, they were literally taking a mark through circumcision that for them represented choosing sin rather than Christ and slavery rather than freedom. Well, that's like us. Sometimes we take the mark of sin as in, you know, when we're out there in the world, you can't really tell us from any of the other sheep out there. Sometimes you can't tell who our shepherd is. Why? Because we talk like the rest of the world, we act like the rest of the world, we do the same things they do. We don't do the things they don't do. Why? Well, we don't want to be different, right? So when we do that, we act as if we're not free to do different than the world, but we are. We can do different than the world because, brothers and sisters, we are different from the world. We are set free by Christ. We belong to him. He is our shepherd. Again, Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. Paul is really a poet sometimes. I love the way he words this. For freedom Christ has set us free. What's he saying? What we have here in this verse is the noun for freedom and the verb to free. Paul says the reason we were freed was for freedom. Something that it was done for us, Paul's saying, was done simply for the sake of doing it. It's like saying, you know, thank God the heat's working, that for heat we turn the heat on. Or for cleanliness I clean my house. Never done that, but you get the point. The point is that the goal in turning on the heat is, of course, for heat, but the reason isn't the heat. The reason is the cold, right? Usually I'll say something like, oh, my wife is cold, so I turned on the heat. The goal of cleaning is, of course, to get something clean. But we don't clean just for cleanliness sake, do we? We clean because, well, the kids made a mess again. Or the dog made a mess again. We don't clean for clean sake. But here, Paul has now moved from what he said last week that we saw. He's moved from saying we were set free because we were in captivity. And he's made that point a bunch of times, a bunch of different ways, right? But he's not saying that. He shifted from telling the Galatians they've been set free from captivity and now he tells us what they've been set free for. They've been set free for freedom. In other words, Christ has not set them and us free to be rid of that captivity. He hasn't just set us free to be rid of the punishment of sin. No, he has set us free for freedom. And if you're thinking, dully, if we're set free, obviously we have freedom. Well, then you get it. You see, that's the point. That's really easy to say. It's really easy to draw that conclusion looking at this. Yeah, if Christ has set me free, then I have freedom. But how does that play out in our lives? How many times have we been wronged by somebody and we say, oh, duh, I'm free to return good for evil? How many times has someone passed a subtly insulting remark and we say, well, duh, I don't have to be offended. I'm free to love this person. How many times 
Have our eyes been drawn to look at something, and there's plenty out there, believe me, to look at something that we probably shouldn't, whether on TV or the internet or a billboard, whatever it is, and we say, well, duh, I don't have to do this. I'm free from lust. I'm free from covetousness. That's why Paul has to remind us, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Not to save us from the captivity to sin, to give us freedom. And now we get to the so what? Paul tells us we were set free for freedom, and he gives us one do and one do not. For freedom, Christ has set us free, so stand firm, he says. That's the do. Stand firm. Where? In the freedom Christ has set us free for. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul says, stand firm in your freedom from. Stand firm in your freedom from the law. Don't budge from your freedom from sin. Don't move out of your freedom from works righteousness. He says, stand firm in your freedom to. Don't abandon your freedom to love God. Don't give up on your freedom to love neighbor. Don't give up your freedom to be different than the world. Stand firm in your freedom. But if we're going to understand exactly what that means, real quick, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. See, as those set free in Christ, freedom doesn't mean we can do anything we want. The word here for freedom in the Greek, according to Aristotle, it's the exact opposite of slavery, of which he says the slave is the one who by nature does not belong to himself but to someone else. That's what a slave is. And spiritually speaking, we were slaves not to someone else but something else. We were slaves to sin. The slavery that Paul talks about is to sin. The slavery the whole Bible talks about is to sin. The slavery that Christ has freed us from is sin. But we can't import Aristotle's ideas or the world's ideas about freedom into the Bible because true freedom is not belonging to myself. True freedom is belonging to Christ. See, Paul's talking about works righteousness here in this letter, about setting a standard of works to please God. And we have throughout all of us who've preached, we have all denounced legalism. We've all argued against the idea that God is pleased by any minimum amount of works. We have argued against believing that we have to earn God's favor. But we can't think that that means that our works don't matter. We can't think that freedom from the law means that we can disobey the law, as if, well, now that I'm free from the law, I'm free to murder and commit adultery and steal. We also can't think there are no works required of us. Remember, we're saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. We can't say, Christ has set me free indeed, amen, and I will do absolutely nothing with that. So doing unrighteous works isn't freedom. Doing nothing isn't freedom. Well, what's left? Well, all that's left is doing righteous works. And as we saw, true faith will always result in righteous works. As James said in James chapter 2, he said, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now hold on a second. Did James really just use Abraham as our example of works, using the same exact passage that Paul used to show that Abraham was our example of faith? Well, yes, because we are saved by faith alone, and we do works pleasing to God by faith alone. In both cases, the same faith is required. And James here is talking about justification, not before God, but before men. If you go and read the whole chapter of the whole letter, you'll see that that's plain. And that means that by our works, that 
come from faith in Christ, well then, the world is going to know that we have that faith in Christ. See, what we do as Christians is our earmark before man. But there's more, because James also said this. Back in James chapter 1, he said, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, this is a, there's another way to talk about standing firm in the freedom we have in Christ. And according to James, it is nothing more than just remembering who we are. Remembering who we are in Christ. Standing firm in the freedom we have in Christ is remembering who we are in him. And then he talks about this perfect law. He calls it the law of liberty. And the word law here is the same word Paul's used throughout Galatians. The word liberty here is the same exact word for freedom in Galatians 5.1. So what in the world is a law of liberty or a law of freedom? What does that look like if Paul's telling us and the Galatians that our freedom is from the law? As I said, we do not go from belonging to sin to belonging to ourselves. Because you know what? That's no difference. No, we go from belonging to sin to belonging to Christ. And belonging to Christ is what sets us free. And as I also said, freedom is not doing whatever we want. Because we very often want sin. And when we want sin, we do sin. And when we do sin, we are not living in our freedom. We are choosing to go back to captivity. And that is why Paul gives us the do not that accompanies the do in Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, when we do sin... We are saying, sin is my master. We're saying, I love my master. I will not go out from him. But when we stand firm in our freedom, when we use it to do different from the world, when we use our freedom to love God, when we freely choose the righteous works that please him, we say, no, Christ is my master. I love him, and I will not go out from him back to that sin and that slavery. See, and there are only two options. James is clear, and Paul is clear. Only two options. There is... Sin as our master or Christ as our master? We are either slaves to sin or we are free in Christ. We work sin or we work faith. This is what Paul was telling them. No, you need to work that faith. Works that result from faith alone. Not works to be righteous. Works because we are righteous. Works that result from the faith that make us righteous before God. The works that we can only do when we're free in Christ. And we can't both be free in Christ and slaves to our sin. It's either or. It's never both ends. There is no middle ground between the two. That's why Paul says what he says next. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, we saw a few weeks ago the heart that Paul had for these Christians and the heart they had for him, right? Paul loved them. They loved him. Remember we saw that Paul said they would have willingly gouged their eyes out to help him in his infirmity. And up until now in the letter, Paul has been the fiery preacher, Apostle Paul, right? Declaring the authority that God gave him. Showing the whole unified history of redemption. Teaching that the Bible speaks against works of the law. Railing against those that would teach any other doctrine than the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here is Pastor Paul. He's the guy who loves them. He's the guy who spends time talking with them over a cup of coffee. He says, I, Paul. Guys, it's me. It's Paul. I love you. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying because I care about you. 
If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you seek righteousness, my brothers, through works, he says, that is submitting again to the yoke of slavery, and you have not gained what Christ has to give. And what Christ has to give is freedom. In short, he tells them, guys, you've chosen captivity over freedom. You've chosen law over faith. Galatians 5.3, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You know, Paul has drawn some very stark contrast in this letter. There's not a whole lot of gray to be found in the book of Galatians. You can't seek salvation by faith and salvation by works. It's either or. You can seek salvation according to the flesh or according to the promise. You can live according to the flesh or according to the spirit. There is sin and there is righteousness. There is slavery and there is freedom. There is law and there is faith. Nowhere does Paul offer a third option. So if the Galatians accept circumcision, he says, you're choosing law. You've made your choice because there is no middle ground. Same thing Paul said to the Roman Christians. Romans 2, he says, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. See, if you believe you need to be circumcised, well, then it only means something if you obey the entire law. Same thing he's saying here to the Galatians. Again, Galatians 5.3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. They can't accept some of the law. They can't live a little under the law and a little by faith. If they believe that even a single work of theirs contributes to the righteousness that comes only by faith, well, then they're choosing works. And if they're choosing works, then they're submitting to captivity of the law. If they want to be righteous by works, they need to be righteous by works. They need to obey the whole law. If you want to obey some of it, he says, obey it all. Why? Because Christ fulfilled the whole law. Every dot. So Paul's saying, if you believe you need to fulfill even a dot of the law, well then, you're saying Christ didn't do what he said he did. As we saw last week, you're saying that God needs help to keep his promise. And ultimately, what you're saying is that Christ is not enough. He didn't do enough. You're saying that you believe that you are justified by grace through faith in Christ, just none of those things alone. You're saying, I am saved by grace plus merit, by faith plus works, by Christ plus me. That's literally why Protestantism started. <laughs> this is exactly what the church was saying. But Paul says, no, our actions have no merit. Why? Because our works are sinful. Why? Because we are sinners. And that is why justification comes by faith alone. And there is no gray area in alone. It's like dead or pregnant. You either are or you ain't. And faith is either alone or it isn't. And as soon as you add in one work, one dot of the law towards righteousness, faith is no longer alone. As we've seen, Paul said this in Galatians 2, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so Paul's coming back to that and telling the Galatians here, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. It's either law or faith. Not some law, it's the whole law or faith. Because it is either all of Christ's righteousness or none of Christ's righteousness. 
It's either full freedom or no freedom. And using our freedom to work in our own power or according to our own will, the way we think things should be done. Or if we use our freedom to try and earn anything from God, you know what, that is no freedom at all. Using our freedom to return evil for evil is no freedom at all. That's what we did when we were slaves to sin. Using our freedom to choose pride over love is no freedom at all. Using our freedom to make any provision for the flesh is no freedom at all. Why? Because Paul says, for freedom, full freedom, and nothing else, Christ has set us free. And we are either all Christ's or all sins, he's saying. We cannot serve two masters. And to make it perfectly clear, Paul puts it another way. In verse 4, he says, You are severed from Christ, you who will be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now, if we had one work of the law, to faith, in order to achieve righteousness, we're choosing the whole law. If we choose the whole law, we choose sin. And Paul says when we do that, there are two results. First, we are severed from Christ. We are separated from him. We're not straddling the line between sin and faith, no matter what we tell ourselves. No, we're just on the sin side of that. And this may sound so harsh, because it sounds as if Paul's saying, hey, Christian, if you sin even once, you're done. Separated from Christ forever. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that if we believe we have to work to gain God's favor, that we can find righteousness through what we do as opposed to what Christ has done, that if we believe God needs my help to fulfill his promise, it isn't that we don't believe that Christ did what he said, it isn't that we don't believe the gospel, it's that we are choosing in our freedom to live like we don't. The severed from Christ literally means to make him of no effect, to make Christ of no effect, and you know what? That's what we do every single time we sin. Listen, we're going to sin as Christians, okay? The Bible is clear on that. Let us never for one second use it as an excuse, though, right? Like saying, ah, it's unavoidable. At least my sin is not as bad as some other sins. You all know you've done that. Let us never think that because we are free from the punishment of sin, that sin is now allowable. Remember, we're also saved from the power of sin. It's a package deal. That's James' entire point. So yes, we're going to sin until Christ returns and completes our salvation. But remember, God is great. Our God is a God of grace. And he forgives his own no matter how many times we fall. If you're following our reading plan, you read through the book of Exodus. Exodus 12 and 13 records the exodus out of Egypt. He saves them from their slavery. In the next four chapters, Israel rebels against God four different times. But he's faithful. Listen, if we choose to be judged by God based on what we do rather than what Christ has done, Paul's saying we have fallen away from that grace of God. And it doesn't mean that you were once saved and now you're not. It means to be driven away from something. Like Paul made a reference to Hagar and Ishmael being driven out of the family of Abraham. Paul is saying if we, by choosing this sin, submit again to the yoke of slavery, or if we choose to seek God's favor through our works, if we use our freedom to go back to sin, well then we're living as if Christ has not redeemed us from the power of sin. And we are being driven away by God's grace by our own sin. If we live any part of our lives as if Christ did not take away our sin and we live in that sin, we are driving ourselves away from God's grace. Or to put it another way, if we do not live in light of the fact that Christ has saved us 
if we do not live lives that reflect that God is that gracious, if our works are anything other than a result of faith alone in Christ alone, then what we are doing is telling God, no thanks on the grace, I'm good. Now, I'd rather use my freedom to do it my way, not your way. And if we do that, we're, we're no different than Galatians, right? Through their circumcision, they were saying, no, God, I don't need the grace, I've got this. And if that's how we live, by choosing sin over freedom, then we are truly no different than the world. And even though we are really free, we are living no freer than those who are literally dying in their sin. If we are seeking righteousness through the works of the law, counting on our, our merit or our works, ourselves, we're making Christ of no effect in our lives and we are denying God's grace. And so we see the answer that I, to the question I asked last week. I said, how are we using our freedom? It's a very important question. Because it'll also answer the question, what have I done with God's grace? See, if we're using our freedom to sin and then to rationalize sin, well, then we've taken God's grace and we've used his grace as an excuse for sin. If we're using our freedom to be like the world, especially when we're with those of the world, then we have told God, don't need the grace, God. We've left grace behind for sin. But it gets even worse because Paul here equates God's grace with the person of Jesus Christ. And so when I ask myself, how am I using my freedom? I'm actually answering the question, what have I done with God's grace? And I'm also answering the question, what have I done with Christ? And if I use my freedom for sin, I've abandoned him. He doesn't abandon us. He never will. When we do this, we abandon him. Like the disciples in the garden, right? The world came knocking. What did they do? They abandoned Christ. And of course, we don't do that to preserve our lives because we'll get arrested, right? No, we just use our freedom that we have in Christ to choose the world over him. Because the world comes knocking and entices us to be just like them, to talk like them, to act like them, to think like them, to do what they do and to not do what they don't do. That's what the Judaizers convinced the Galatians. When we choose that, we are not using our freedom to choose Christ because there is no middle ground. So how are we using our freedom? What are we doing with God's grace? What are we doing with Christ? Again, verse 4, he says, You are severed from Christ, you will be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. And then he says in verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. Paul says that by faith, in the power of the Spirit, we ourselves, meaning Christians, we ourselves, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And that hope of righteousness is talking about complete righteousness. The completion of our salvation when Christ returns. When sin is literally no more. We will live with Christ forever free from the presence of sin forever. Well, what does that have to do with freedom and circumcision? Well, Paul's talking about what we do with our freedom. He was using circumcision as an example of works that put us under the captivity of law and under the captivity of sin. And he says, don't do that. No, instead, stand firm in your freedom. Do not submit to that slavery again. And here, he's contrasting those who submit themselves to the law by working in their own power to those who are eagerly awaiting the hope of righteousness. He's contrasting those who seek righteousness where it cannot be found and those who are waiting for righteousness by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the point is this, that hope of righteousness, 
the coming of Christ, the completion of our salvation, that hope is why we do what we do as Christians. The Bible's clear on this. That hope is why we use our freedom to stand firm in Christ. That hope is why we do the works that proceed from faith. Listen, we know our end is sure. We know someday our faith will be sight. Amen? And we know that for those of faith, the Lord is coming back. He will bring to completion the work that he has begun in us. And if that is where our hope is, the Spirit will work in us. We will live out our faith. But here's the question. If you are using your freedom for anything other than those works that proceed from faith, where is your hope? Paul says in the Galatians, hey, through your works of the law, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping to accomplish doing works into your own power instead of by faith? What are you hoping for in turning your back on Christ and choosing sin? And we can ask ourselves the same thing. When we submit to the yoke of slavery through our sin, what are we hoping for? No, really, what are we hoping for? Do we hope we'll be like the world? Do we hope we won't be recognized as a sheep of the great shepherd? Are we hoping for a moment or two of fleeting pleasure? Are we hoping for easy? Well, Paul's point is whatever it is we're hoping for, it is in Christ. Christ is of no advantage to us. We've made him of no effect in our lives when we return to works and to our sin. That completed work, the hope of his finished work, they are of no effect for us. We are not living in light of what he has done and what he will do. And that is what faith is. Living in light of what Christ has done. Believing it makes us free from sin, free to love God, free for freedom. Faith is living in light of what Christ will yet do. This is the one and only time the ends justify the means. If we believe that he is coming back for us, if we believe in the glorious eternity we're headed for, if we believe in him who died to gain that for us, then the works that we do that proceed from faith, they are the only justified works. That is the only way for those of us who hope in Christ to live in the here and now. And look what Paul says in verse 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Notice, faith works. He says it again. Faith works. That love that marks us as Christ's it works. Paul pointed out to the Galatians where their hope is. He reminded them what we were eagerly waiting for, that hope of righteousness, as opposed to the hopeless works righteousness they were seeking. No, no, no. This righteousness, the completed righteousness in Christ, that was their hope. And he says that for those in Christ, not only is there one hope, not only is everything else hopeless, but any works that do not proceed from faith are useless. They don't count for anything. In Christ Jesus, circumcised, uncircumcised, it doesn't matter because no works outside of faith matter. Verses 5 and 6 together. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So we see Paul is drawing another contrast here. Two options. And there is no gray area. There's no middle ground. There are the works that we do, like circumcision, pick your sin. And there are works that we and the Spirit do by faith. And that is faith working through love 
for God and neighbor, which we are now free to work. And those works that do proceed from faith, he tells us here, are done through the Spirit. See, Paul's saying, only works that proceed from faith matter. Only those works please God. Only those works will be our earmark out in the world. Only those works will have any effect on each other and the world. And when we use our freedom to love God and to love each other and to love our neighbor as ourselves, we work by faith to actively love God and each other and our neighbor as ourselves because Paul says that's all that matters to God. It's all that matters to God. So the question today is, what matters to us? We will use our freedom on what matters to us. We take stock of what matters to us by looking at the things that we do. Because I know, listen, guilty. I spend time and energy, physical and emotional energy, on plenty of things that when asked about it, when I stop to think about it, I will say, that doesn't really matter. But if I'm doing them, they do matter, don't they? If we're doing it, it does matter to us. And if we're honest, and we look time at what we spend doing, and just as importantly, time at what we don't spend doing, we will see what matters to us and what doesn't. And that will answer the question, how do we use our freedom? That will answer the question, what have we done with God's grace? And we'll see what we've done with Christ. We'll see if we are choosing to stand firm in the freedom Christ died to free us for, or if we're submitting again to the yoke of slavery. And it's one or the other. But as I said, let's remember God is gracious. His grace doesn't end even when we drive ourselves away from it by choosing sin. And Christ, our shepherd, even when we refuse to wear the earmark of our great shepherd, he is always ready to pick us up and carry us back to the fold. So, I want to encourage you this morning. Be honest with yourself. See, unlike the world, we are free to be honest with ourselves. And I encourage you to stand firm in your freedom. And I encourage all of us, I'm including myself, to declare that we will not go out anymore from our master whom we love. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We need to use our freedom. And this morning, I'm going to give you a few minutes. All you need to do is use that freedom to repent of any unbelief. Remember who has called you as his own. Stand firm in your freedom. Stand firm in God's grace. And stand firm in Jesus Christ. He's calling us back this morning. Let's bow. I'll give you a few minutes just to pray what's in your heart. Father, Lord, we come up for you this morning. We bow our hearts before you, Lord. I can only speak for myself, God, and when I look at what I do and what I don't do, Lord, and what the world sees when they see me, God, 
can see how much I need more of you. So I pray. As Paul said, Lord, through faith in the Spirit, we can be what you call us to be. We can do what you call us to do. We can shine your light into a dark world by being sheep marked by love. The world will know that there is a great shepherd. So God, increase our faith this morning. Increase our faith. Help us to see you. Help us to love you. Work by your spirit in each and every heart in this room, God. Give us an understanding of not just who you are, Lord, but who we are in you. Help us to use our freedom. Help us to stand firm. Help us to not submit to the yoke of slavery for even a second, God. And help us use our freedom to glorify you in all we do and say and all we think, Lord. Because, God, you are so good. But you sent your son as one of us that he died for my sin, for our sin. God, that he's coming again to complete the work he's begun in us. Help us, God, to remember that every moment of every day so that we can show the world there is a God and he is good his love never fails. His grace knows no end. With everything we do, Lord, may we say loudly that we are yours. We pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.